culture is a cloud problem and it is not solvable, it is shiftable. Because it is individual, because it is individually experienced, you could have two people in the same organization where one says, you know, everything is absolutely wonderful. I'm having a great time here. And you could have somebody else saying, well, actually, no, I dread coming into work. My experience coming into work is not good. I don't feel valued. I don't feel connected. I don't feel part of things. So it's it, it, that's the complexity of it, right? That it is about that individual experience. And then as leaders and as organizations, the challenge becomes, how do we create a consistent experience for people? Welcome, you're listening to Making Difference Count, a podcast from Inclusio Original Series. Today, we are joined by the founder and CEO of Inclusio, Sandra Healy. Sandra is a leading expert in diversity and inclusion, an organizational psychologist, and an NLP master practitioner. For over 15 years, Sandra has championed and driven diversity and inclusion practice across industry and is considered a leading expert. I've had the privilege of speaking with Sandra. We've had many conversations about the future of work, what that means, what people expect when they come into an organization, the generational differences, as well as the reality that people will give more of themselves in an environment where they feel valued. The importance of workplace culture cannot be overstated as the impact of a backward culture negatively affects everyone, both business and people. Sandra, today I would like to understand how you perceive culture. Workplace culture is often described as the shared values, the belief systems, the attitudes, and the set of assumptions that people in a workplace share. And I would even add to that and say the established norms within a a workplace. Now, In a work environment where the culture has or is negatively impacting people, can we change culture? Hi, Elizabeth. Um, That was a big question, and I'll I'll do my best to answer it in the time we have. Culture. So culture is an interesting one because I think I certainly believe, and, and the research shows, that when it comes to company culture, it's set by the leaders. It's set by the people at the top of the organization. And as they bring their values Uh, and the things that are important to them into how they go about their day-to-day work. That's what drives the culture in an organization. And then you can also have a team culture. So you might have an organization that, you know, this is how we do things in the organization, but things might be slightly different in the team. And that's why I would always say that the managers, people managers are the custodians of the culture. Where does culture come from? So where culture comes from in an organization is the values the beliefs, the behaviors, and it's the way people do things within that organization, the acceptable ways of, uh, of being and, and uh, behaving within that organization. So when I say that it comes from the leaders, if the leaders are, for example, uh, acting, I don't know, inappropriately or, or using language that's not appropriate, well, other people in the organization could perceive that, that that's okay to be like that. Uh, So it's really, really important that leaders are ahead when it comes to setting the culture and that they recognize how important it is that people look up to them, that they drive their, the the way they behave drives uh, the culture across the organization. And I think this is across the board, not just the leaders like managers or supervisors that we see, but even, you know, decision makers that 
many people don't see frequently. So how how do you think in a practical way that we can change culture? Many times I've heard you kind of speak about shifting, not, you know, taking away the problem, but shifting. Yeah, I think, you know, when I describe my work in diversity and inclusion, I, I talk about it being policy and practice and hearts and minds. And I think when it comes to culture and shifting the culture, uh, I, I think we really need to focus on that hearts and minds piece because, because it is individual, because it is individually experienced, you could have two people in the same organization where one says, you know, everything is absolutely wonderful. I'm having a great time here. And you could have somebody else saying, well, actually, no, I dread coming into work. My experience coming into work is not good. I don't feel valued. I don't feel connected. I don't feel part of things. So it's it, it, that's the complexity of it, right? That it is about that individual experience. And then as leaders and as organizations, the challenge becomes, how do we create a consistent experience for people? So that it doesn't matter who their manager is, it doesn't matter where they work in the organization, that they have this consistent experience and, and one that gets the best out of them. And, and I use that deliberately when I say about being, you know, people feeling valued and feeling connected to the mission of the organization. Like that's that's a truly inclusive workplace, isn't it? Is one Absolutely. where um, where the organization is focused on getting the best out of you, but at the same time, it's also about you getting the best out of yourself and getting the best out of the organization as well. I would like us to kind of share with people, how can we as a, uh, an organization, how does Inclusio, um, how can we help people um, in this in this area? Yeah, so uh, that goes back to your point, Elizabeth, about um, shiftable. Um, and we could have a whole separate podcast on that. So we, I won't talk about it today around uh, clock problems and cloud problems. OK, let's ag- let's agree that um, uh, culture is a, a cloud problem and it is not solvable, it is shiftable. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, it's, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to change absolutely every single person's behavior in the organization, which is what it takes to shift the culture. So it really is around, you know, if I was to describe it as a hundred small things that happen right across the organization, it could be at different times and different, different things might need to happen in different parts of the business and different teams uh, to be able to create that consistent experience uh, for the people in the organization. So when I say about it being shiftable uh, and not solvable, that's exactly what we do through Inclusio. So through the anonymous uh, voices uh, of the people in the organization, we get a sense of what it is that needs to change, what needs to change, where uh, to be able to create that consistent experience. And that's really, really important because it's not just about culture is not just about the lived experience of one particular group of people. It has to be taken into consideration right across the organization. And that can be very difficult if you're a global company uh, or you have, you know, people in different regions and different parts of the world that have their own cultures, uh, their local cultures. And, and, and that can come into the workplace and can influence the behaviors and how people do things within that particular region. So it's actually it's quite complex. Uh, for companies to get it right. And what Inclusio does is helps the organization know what it is they need to do in each of the different locations, uh, but it's through the voice of the people that uh, and, and their input that drives the cultural shift. 
I mean, I've been on the platform and one of the things I particularly enjoy and I think it's so unique is the individual learning that you get to uh, experience. Uh, you talk about the complexity and how context is so relevant. And so I think that individual learning really not just allows us to, you know, get the voice of the people and give it to, you know, the decision makers, but for the people themselves, they go on a journey where they really get to have a better understanding to maybe conversations that may be far-fetched from them, uh, conversations they may not have had the opportunity to learn about, speak about, and also in ways that aren't complex, in ways that are simple, in ways that are enjoyable. And I think um, the whole process, the whole process of embracing people and accepting people should be that way. To ask about the, the, the role that, uh, that data plays in this conversation, why is data collection a crucial part of the DNI conversation? Yeah, that's an interesting one, Elizabeth. And I think, it, you know, in all my years of having discussions with people around data collection, I think, you know, one of the fundamental uh, things that have comes up time and time again is people do not want to be put in boxes, you know. And, and if we lived in an ideal world, uh, we would not... Uh, be in a situation where people need to put themselves in boxes. But unfortunately, the reality is uh, that we need to understand what's the problem we're trying to solve. So as an employer, you need to know what it is you need to do um, to redress or address, like, for example, a lack of diversity or to redress or address maybe inequality happening in a particular part of the business. And the only way you can really get a sense of what's going on on the ground is through data. And that's exactly where Inclusio came from, is creating a way, a safe, anonymous, and secure way for people to build a diversity profile uh, so that the organization gets a sense of what it is they need to do to redress a lack of diversity, for example, or a lack of representation uh, of, um, you know, if I, if I was, we've all heard this line around, you know, organizations need to be reflective of the customers and the communities they serve. But how are they going to do that if they don't have the data? And really what the data does is helps the organization get a sense of how can I fulfill my obligations about being reflective of the communities and the societies we serve? Uh, and what the data does is allows them to get a sense of what's the problem we're trying to solve. And, and certainly when I speak to companies, that's the first thing I ask them, what's, what's the problem you're trying to solve here? And generally the problem is, and that they don't have the data to understand how do they get started on their DNI or what's working, what's not working. Uh, and that's really where data is important. So on the one hand, we have people saying, I don't like to be put in boxes. But on the other hand, we will not be able to solve the problem until we're able to identify the problem, measure it and measure progress as we try and shift uh, and, and address so many issues. Well, well, you hear the, the old saying, Elizabeth, of what gets measured gets done. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that certainly is something that I've heard many, many years throughout my career. What gets measured gets done. And we know that. So I think applying that approach to diversity and inclusion and equality and equity in work. And, and we see a lot of this happening externally. For example, you know, some sectors now have mandatory reporting on diversity and inclusion into regulators uh, in other parts of the world then. We have um, mandatory reporting and quotas around minorities or around people with disabilities, for example. 
So we're starting to see more and more of this external oversight, uh, like gender pay gap reporting, a perfect example now. Lots of different parts of the world now have implemented gender pay gap reporting. Same thing, it's creating uh, baselines and creating benchmarks with which companies can uh, use as measures of success. You know, when when DNI is mentioned, a lot of people exclude themselves from the conversation. They don't think it affects them or they don't understand uh, the relevance, especially from a business perspective. So how do you explain the importance of DNI to someone who is more business focused? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think it goes back to the first part of our discussion around, you know, policy and practice and hearts and minds. I think quite often what can happen is that people don't feel like diversity and inclusion is for them or about them, that it's about the others trying to explain and um, bring people to the table around inclusion. Sometimes what I would do is talk about the impact of exclusion. And I, I think that that will hopefully most of the time when people start to check into that, that everybody has an experience in their life of when they have been excluded. Uh, and that starts to open their minds then and thinking about, okay, well, you know, maybe there's, uh, there's more to this. Um, another thing it could be trying to connect them in with, uh, for example, maybe their experience of their family members, like the amount of men I've had tell me the story about their daughter, you know, is now starting to go to college and they want to make sure that their daughters have uh, equitable access to opportunities in the workplace and are not discriminated against or paid a different level of salary or skills undervalued uh, as their sons. Like sometimes that that's what it takes, for example, in, in that particular scenario. So I don't think there's any one, one, one solution to it. I certainly for me, you know, I set out my work I'm with a lot of empathy and understanding and I try and meet people where they're at. And sometimes that takes an individual conversation of talking about inclusion, exclusion, um, talking about trying to connect it with their specific uh, situation. And hopefully that starts to help them get a sense of what it's like for people who are different from them. I think I I've said it to you before about the research that I've read, Elizabeth, yes. around when we think about Uh, physical pain and exclusion. So the same area of the brain, our brains lights up when we are excluded in exactly the same way as somebody, if somebody kicked us. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? So exclusion is the same in the human brain as physical pain. I remember you've said that a few times and I was going to bring it up. Like when you expressed that research to me and I was thinking about times where I felt excluded from society and how that affected my mind, how that affected my sense of self and my ability to actually perform uh, to my full potential. It's crippling. Like it makes you feel like you cannot actually move forward. Um, And we definitely don't want workplaces where, you know, people feel that way. We want workplaces where people are able to really be themselves um, and achieve their full potential. Yeah, I think so. And, and it, you know, it for me, it's about not non-judgment and not judging, you know, like where, and this is where, when we hear the conversation around bias, whether it be conscious bias or unconscious bias, like essentially what that is, is us judging others, whether it be conscious or unconscious, around our own set of standards that have been coded into us while, you know, we we grow up in our 
families and our communities and influenced by the media and, and external sources. And, wh- and what that does is allows us to form our opinions on what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, you know, and, and that allows us then, unfortunately, to create judgments of other people. And when we judge, generally we exclude. So it's really hard to override that and not you know, jump to generalizations or conclusions about people. It really does require us being human first, as I describe it. So empathy, understanding, awareness, meeting people where they're at and taking the time and the patience to help the other person respectfully understand what what things are like for you as, as, as a person. Respectfully understand. That's key. Thank you so much, Sandra. Well, we have three questions that we want to ask all our guests. Which one of your values drive your work? Yeah, I think um, for me, certainly it's fairness. And, and when I'm ever asked why, why diversity and inclusion and how did I get into it? And, it? and it wasn't really about my own personal experience, which is quite interesting. It was more around as I got older and I started to watch how things were unfair for other people around me. So, as you know, I spent 20 years in the technology industry and that's a long time, and it was uh, there were very few women, uh, at a, a, certainly on the technical side of the house where I was. But what I did notice over time is that things were very different, particularly for women who uh, um, took some time out of the workplace to to have their families. That when you know, in particular, at a couple of examples of where they came, watching women coming back into the workplace and having to start their careers all over again. And I just thought to myself that that's not. That's not fair. That's not the way it should be. Um, and that's really what brought me to my work in diversity and inclusion, I would say, is my sense of fairness. And, and I get asked all the time, you know, what's the one piece of advice I, I'd give people? And I always say, um, don't step over it. You know, if you find something that's not right or you've experienced something that's not right or you see something that, you know, take responsibility for it and and the downside of that is that it can have a negative impact on your career sometimes when you're that kind of person. But for me, um, values first, and for me, fairness first. And it has, in some cases, had an impact negatively on my career, but uh, that's me, values first. I feel like I just learned something right there. What I'm hearing is that your values will almost keep you grounded. I think that that's fair to say, yeah. And I think um, it's certainly... I think for all, all of us, if we take some time out just to reflect on what are our values and what's really important to us. Yeah. And I think if you even bring that into the workplace, I think that's important because what an organization does when they set their strategy and when they set um, the key pillars that they want to focus on and they set their values, like really what they're saying is that this is what we care about. This is how... We uh, want people to behave and expect people to behave uh, when they're in this organization and part of this organization and this community in, in this company. So, yeah, it's, re- it's really, really, they're very powerful if, if, if used and, and um, developed within the organization and you can connect people to it. I think values are really, really powerful, a really powerful tool personally 
and professionally. I think you're going to like this next question. What is the strangest question someone has ever asked you about the work you do? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I get asked lots of different questions and I think it's probably just people trying on what they hear, what they hear me talking about and some of the case studies and things that we go through. Uh, I think one of the strangest things I was ever asked is uh, I was working with, uh, it was a senior leadership team many years ago in a financial institution. And we were talking about uh, the importance of diversity in the workplace. We were talking about the importance of getting to know people who are different from yourself and, you know, creating that inclusive environment on an individual and a personal uh, level and taking personal responsibility for that. And at the end of the session, one of the leaders came up to me and he said, uh, he asked me, he said, is it still okay for me to play golf with my friends on the weekends? And I just thought that that was funny. Uh, A valid question, I suppose. I did say to him, look, we're talking about work. We're talking about what you do in work. We're not saying you have to go and swap out your friends. Um, But I just thought it was an interesting view. Um, But look, that's everybody comes to this in, in their own way. What do you do? Because at some point, we're all going to be faced with resistance as we push for a better world. So how do you respond when you're faced with resistance? What a great question, Elizabeth. How do I respond? So say it, say we're, we'll bring it into the work context and it's about uh, facing resistance around diversity and inclusion. And, and this is a strategy I've used many, many times is I try and find somebody else to tell the story. So it's not just about me. Uh, And I certainly in the early days of my diversity and inclusion practice found that very powerful. So if I needed uh, a HRD, for example, who got D&I to come in and talk to another HRD and tell the story about how important it is and, and, and how they went about it, I will do that. And I think that that's important. People hearing stories from others who are in the same uh, context, I suppose, Certainly in the early work, in my early work, a lot of what I was learning would have been theoretically learning about it before I got to try it. Uh, so I, what I, that's what I've learned. It's really important if you can get somebody who's lived it to be able to tell somebody else um, how they did it. I think that, that that is very effective. You know, it's back to that point about meeting people where they're at. You know, sometimes I'm not the person who's going to convince somebody else. And I have to be I have to recognize that. And I think we all recognize that you know, like diversity and inclusion is, is around meeting people where they're at and helping them connect with it and, and helping them get an understanding of why it's important, even if it's not their lived experience. And that's always the challenge, right, is even if it's not their lived experience. So what, what more powerful way than to get a person or to help a person connect with it is either to hear from a peer about how and why they found it important and how they came to it, or from the voice of somebody maybe who is being impacted. And sometimes that's not me. So I think there's different approaches and different strategies to connecting people with it. Uh, and I'll find a way generally. <laughs> um, um, and it is important, though, to have patience and empathy and understanding for, for people while you help them connect with it. So powerful. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. And I look forward to having many more conversations with you. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. Have a good day. 